Welcome to Welcome to Orkanini. This is Sarah Silva Beth. Today is the third day of Thomas Jimmel Thomas. And um I just wanted to start with almost a kind of a, a cute thought that everybody understands it in a different way. And really we want to look back into history and see what it's all about. We're ending off the series. Um and there's a very nice sicha in which explains why we say Shalom Aleichem when we meet somebody on the street and they answer back Aleichem Shalom. And it's a, it's a long thought. But essentially, it's taking into the account that two Jews, 15 opinions. <laughs> That's the way it is, you know. We're, you know, we're a generation of minds, and, you know, we each have a different opinion, and and, and that's the way it is. As I often tell the jokes that once we were in New Jersey, and we stopped and asked a woman in the parking lot how to get to the waterfall and also how to get to Walmart, and... um she, she told us both directions, but she said, don't go to the waterfalls. I'll, I think you'll enjoy it at Walmart more. And I said, thank you so much. And when she left, uh, <laughs> um, I said to my children, I guess, you know, we could have uh, given her a lachaim or something. So how, how did I, how did I, Baruch Hashem, you know, a Yiddish, a Yiddish woman, how did I know? Because uh, Baruch Hashem, many, many different opinions about things. So, okay. So we're in a, a very powerful day that everybody struggles to figure out what it is. And if we look into Tyra, first of all, why do we want to know what it is? Because I want to know who I am. Bottom line, I, I think I don't even have to be afraid or embarrassed anymore to say that I'm in a generation of within. What's in it for me? So everything really becomes directed to who am I? What am I doing here? What is what is it all about? So Let's embrace it and understand that me, the bigger me, is Hashem, is God himself. Okay, so we've been going through the idea of the transformation of nature, the, trans, the, the upgrading and the resetting the nature of nature, and we explained over the past few days how Shemesh Begivan Daim, when Yeshua made the sun stand still, he was pulling the plug on all of nature, for a few hours, and he was replugging it. He was pulling it out of the old socket, and he was plugging it into a new socket. And we can, and all of nature clearly had to be transformed, had to be upgraded in those moments. And we can relate to that in a very practical way, because here we are in that same kind of period in history, which is the plug was pulled, it's out for some amount of time, it's plugged in again at a higher frequency to a better socket. This time it's a permanent socket. The gullus one was the temporary socket. This is a permanent socket. So everything is very different. So where do we go from here? How do we become a vessel for it? We certainly understand that the world... The world um, a little bit is struggling now to become a vessel for this new plug that it was plugged into in those 11 weeks when we were in quarantine. And how do you know that the world is struggling? Well, look at the streets of America. I haven't checked the news recently, but it, 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 it's an uproar type of a time. Uproar is tough if, you know, it affects a person in a negative way. It's amazing, of course if we realize that a new world order is being created. So I think we want to ask ourselves, if you were God, if you were Hashem, would you make an, a, create a new world, a new heaven and a new earth, as came out when Noah, when Noah came out from the flood, when he came out of the ark, the teva, after the flood, he saw a new world. So, we know that we are entering into a new world. Everybody talked about it in those 11 quarantine weeks from Purim to Shavuos. But if you were Hashem, would you do it in this way of first pull the plug, take it out of the old socket, and then I guess Hashem plugged in the plug again into a new socket, and then chaos. First quiet and then chaos. I have to tell you, if anybody has thoughts, you know, if I were Hashem, why would I do first the quiet and then the chaos? And somehow this is the way, I think I'll spend the whole Shabbos thinking about it. 
somehow this is a way to usher in a new world order. What's it all about? I guess, I mean, as we have been saying, the world is struggling to become a vessel for this new world order that's coming down. You know, we're having our, much to my chagrin, we're having our alleyway paved over. So you hear a lot of noise because they're trying to make things better. They have, the people who want the alleyway paved, they have lots of reasons and they were willing to pay quite a nice amount of money to have it paved. Clearly, they feel, feel that life will be much better with this paved alleyway. The process is extremely noisy, which is why I am indoors. The process of paving it, of, of, of smoothing it all, I don't have to go into all the details, is, is very noisy. So here we have it. First quiet, then noisy. I can only also compare it to um, Rahman Islam. They said that when the tsunami happened, you know, a number of, how many years ago was it now? Ten years ago at least? When the tsunami happened, there was that feeling that when there was quiet, you know, when all of a sudden water just inundated the earth, it was what it was. The water just inundated the earth, and then it was quiet. And someone wrote, and he said, some people felt the terror when the water was inundating the earth, but then the quiet made them feel safe. They thought, thank God it's over. And he said, I knew that the toughest part is about to come. The quiet, the quiet is a false sense of security because then there will be the undertow. When everything goes back, when all this water that inundated the earth goes back to the ocean, it takes a lot of stuff with it. And Rahman and, and the people who lost their lives, many of them lost their lives in the going back process. When the water of the tsunami went back out into the ocean, that's when it got really, mm, there's a lot of destruction. Okay, so what does this all have to do with Gimel Tamos? Gimel Tamos, we spoke about in the time of Yoshua, the year 2488. And now we want to focus, and we spoke about the stick of Aaron that the kahuna was uh, in the Parsha, Kairach challenging the kahuna. And now we want to speak about 1927, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitch And of course, we know that his crime was that he was teaching Tyra. Not only, why would it be a crime to teach Tyra? Because if you're the KGB and you're the representatives of a regime that figured that once and for all, they will be rid of God, God forbid, and you and your plan is the total antithesis. Your very beamhood is to permeate every molecule of the world, every molecule, every person, of course, and every molecule of existence with this, with this truth that obviously the KGP isn't going to like you. You're thwarting their plans. They have a mission, and your mission is the exact opposite of their mission. And your mission is the true mission. Your mission to, to show the world that there's nothing but Hashem, that nothing but God, your mission obviously will succeed. And somehow when they, are, they come into contact with you, they know that they will fail. You know, my very, very first, lecture that I ever went to in 1980 of my whole life, my very first Torah, I mean, other than, I guess, as a kid, hearing the rabbi's sermon once in a while in Shul at a bar mitzvah or something, my very first year was Rabbi Shaifat Elavashalim saying, asking, what is it? Why, why did they not like Jews all these years? He said, what, did, what do you mean? A Jew would walk down the street. He was on the way to the marketplace to buy some vegetables. 
And then there was this non-Jew whose whole religion was based on something that your presence meant to him that his his, his philosophy uh, wasn't really, didn't really hold water. He wasn't going to like you. He didn't have to say anything. He knew that you stand for a truth that contradicts his truth. And somehow the truth of your truth would drive him crazy and he wouldn't want to see you. Which is the topic of today. The Chiddush today is your truth. In those days he knew, all through history, all through Jewish history, the non-Jew knew that you carry truth and hated you for it. And now the non-Jew knows. I have this from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, right? The non-Jew hated you because he knew that you have truth. He knew that without speaking what you, what you think, he knew your philosophy. And he hated, he hated the Jew for it. I don't want your truth. You're ruining my good time in the world. The Chiddush of today is that that same non-Jew still knows that you represent truth. And he wants you to teach it to him. And he, if he hates you, God forbid, he hates you because you're not teaching it to him. I got this from Rabbi Waiwai. He hates you because you're not teaching it to him. Once upon a time, he hated you because this is because of your truth. Now he loves your truth. But excuse me. We all have to have our, we all have to be lined up in, in our positions. If you're not teaching the world truth, the truth that you've been walking, if you the Jew are not walking around the world teaching everybody truth, what are you doing here? Once upon a time, the non-Jew said, what are you doing in this world? This is eat, drink, and be, this is an eat, drink, and be merry world. Get out of here with your truth. You don't belong here. You're ruining everybody's good time. But now, now again, so to say it simply, now the non-Jew is saying, this is a world that wants to know truth. Maimonides says, the entire world will want to know nothing other than, will do nothing other than to know Hashem, to know God. So, hey, you guys who have been walking around representing the truth for all of these generations, and we told you to leave, Wherever you were, if you were in our country, we told you to leave. If you were anywhere, we told you to leave because we didn't want to hear truth. Now we want to hear truth. So it's now it's your hour. This is your time. So if you're not here doing what you doing what we need from you, which is to teach us truth, get leave leave again. They so if they want us to leave now, God forbid, they want us to leave because well, if you're not going to teach us truth, what do we need you for? We don't need you. We didn't need you then because you, we didn't want to hear truth. We don't need you now if you're not going to do your job. You're just taking up more resources. You're taking up more, more, more parking spots on the street. It's not for you Jews. I would be able to park my cars on the street. I have to get a garage just because of you Jews. I don't need you here taking up parking spots. I need you here teaching me truth. If you're not, please leave. God forbid. So what is that? That is the enemy becomes the ally. Now, where do we see it happening? Okay. So here was previous Rebbe for teaching truth. We just figured out why. Was was imprisoned on the 15th of Sivan. And then, and there was huge amounts of political pressure going on. Enormous amounts of political pressure. Thank God. And so at some point, it worked, and the KGB, the NKVD, had to release the Rebbe. The Russian government had to, re- to release the Rebbe. So it was, again, I, I, I never get the days right, Thursday, Sunday, but Gimel Tamo's, the sentence was changed. And the sentence was changed, they saw later. It was a sentence of the opposite of life. There was a death sentence on the, on the, on the previous Rebbe, which in a second I'll say what that means. But there was that death sentence. And so they changed it to three years in Kutztrema, three years in exile. 
the Hasidim of the Rebbe at that point did not celebrate. They didn't know if this is better or worse. For very simple political reasons. Because as long as the Rebbe was in the public eye, and there was political pressure from countries around the world, the KGB, the NKVD, they were afraid to, they knew that everybody's watching. So they were really afraid to pull too many tricks. But once they send him away to exile, everybody forgets. The political forces, they're busy with other things, they move on. Everybody forgets about the Rebbe. He's off there somewhere in some far-off place. Nobody's thinking about him. The world isn't thinking about him. And then the Hasidim thought, is it possible that this is even going to be worse? This Gimel Tamil's day is a day that's starting a very great darkness. They'll take the Rebbe off and they can, you know, they have their ways of eliminating people very quickly, God forbid. So there was a very strong feeling that this day of Gimel Tammuz is a day when the darkness is increasing. We're not quite sure, but it really looks, I'm sure there were a lot of people who said, why are you celebrating? This is, this is horrible. It would have been better as awful as it was if the Rebbe was in jail, but at least we, we knew it was happening. And, and we could continue to put political pressure. Now it got so much worse. This is the beginning of the very great darkness. We think the darkness started a few weeks ago. Huh, that was small potatoes compared to this Gimel Tamil's darkness. This is a real darkness. Now, hold on. But, oh, but sorry, one second. Let's, we won't hold on. We'll jump to this. Of course, the miracle was that instead of three years, after ten days on Yud Beis Tamil's and then Yud Gimel Tamil's, the previous Rebbe was told, you are free to go. I actually, I guess it was more political stuff. I actually never read about what it was that, according to the, the laws of nature, changed the minds of the Soviet government. The Gula happened. Chagavula, Yudbei Samu. So they looked back and they asked themselves, wow, this is a great Gula. This is a great celebration. The Rebbe's freed, and in a second we'll say why that's important. So when did this Geula begin? Oh, it began on the day that we thought that the Gullus was beginning. It began on the very day that we thought the darkness is now really increasing. So now catch that moment, because everybody has that moment a lot, hopefully in very small things. Every time we say, oh, no, oh, oh, I can't, oh, boy, I, you name it. Every time we say, oh, no, I can't believe it. That means things were medium, and now they're really a total mess. That's the concept. Things were medium, and now they're a, 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 a complete mess. The darkness has just increased. These Hasidim came back and realized, oh my goodness, the day when we experience that the darkness has just started to increase actually was the day when the light emerged, very great light emerged. Okay, well, that's a template. You know, there are certain moments in life that are templates. This is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment. And we want to stamp them as a template. This is a dogma. This is, this is, I said before somewhere where, if I'll have a chance, a story I heard from Rabbi Paul Thiel in Fort Washington just this morning about what is your hot dog and, what, and different things like that. We want to take these moments and stamp them. Don't just let them pass, but say, Template moments. And ask ourselves, okay, this is a, this is a moment that I can take it as a visual and superimpose it on every similar moment in my life because this is, this is a moment that enables me to reframe completely my experience. 
that I think that the Gullahs is starting and really the Gaula is starting. And I have no way of feeling it whatsoever. I have no way of feeling it whatsoever. The, oh, right? There you are. It's 1927. It's Gimel Thomas. Your Rebbe has just been sent to, to you, you think that they're going to do even worse things. What do you have going on in your life that will tell you the Geula just began? Nothing. Nothing within your experience will give you any information. You ask yourself, how do I, what do I do at this moment? Is it good or bad? Is it good or bad? What do I do? You have no information for evaluating it. Except if you step into Tyra. Once you step into Tyra, then you say, well, wait a minute. I personally, in my everyday life, you know, maybe I have, I don't have enough experience in my life to say, no, bad moments are really good. So what do I do? I have to jump into the place of truth and experience the truth, and then I can reframe everything. What does that mean? Where's the place of truth? What is the thing of truth? Torah. What's going on in the Kaidish Kedoshim? Which means which means what? Two opposites contradict. Two opposite things are going on at the same time. That's nimna It means in life, we're going to have an experience at the same time, this is bad, this is good. At the very same time. This is life in Gullus. We're waiting for Gaula when it's just purely good. But the fact is, at this moment, we have an unbelievable opportunity to experience something very profound that gives us an edge over everyone else and everything else. If we get used to living, to if we learn the secret of nimnahaninnot, what is nimnahaninnot? Two opposites are happening at the same time, and I don't get scared. I have access to the secret of life. This is, what is it? You know, the fountain of youth. Here we go. The fountain of youth. The fountain of eternal life. There's a secret that goes on in the Holy of Holies in the base of Middash. You know, everybody knows if you would measure the size of the iron from, it was many amas wide, and if you would measure the, the width of the room, it was that many amas wide, and from this side of the iron to the wall, etc. all those measurements, and essentially, the conclusion is that it's the, let's say it's ten amos. The whole the whole <clears throat> room is ten amos wide. I don't remember the exact measurements. And there's space on either side of the iron till the wall. And yet, if you measure the iron, it's also the, the same ten amos wide. Which means, in mathematical terms, this iron doesn't seem to be there. It doesn't seem to be there in space. In, it's not taking up space, but I see it with my eyes. So this is a familiar concept, and anybody who's learned Klippidus knows this concept very well. But we want to take it into our lives because literally now it, it, it's this nice little cute concept that we use in all our classes becomes the nakuda of our lives, especially around Gimel Thomas. How can two opposites coexist? What do you mean? If you're Jewish, that's pretty average. If you're not Jewish, I think maybe you can have a more normal life. But if you're Jewish, you always live in a reality where two opposites coexist. She loves me, she loves me, you know, he loves me, loves me. We always live in this dichotomy of it's there, it's not there. Two opposites are both true and they exist at the same time. Which, by the way, this is the debate that people have today about Gimel Thomas. And people have had this question since almost 30 years ago. Uh, 
Yeah, if it's here, not here, yes, no, no, alive, who's alive, what's alive, you're alive, they're alive, he's alive, what's alive, not alive. All of these questions, and it's all resolved by one answer. Why are we doing an either or? Either someone's alive or they're not alive, you can't have both. It's a Jewish joke. Okay, you want this or do you want that? The Jewish joke is the Yid will always say, I'll take both. I'll take one of each. This is the hallmark approach of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Do you want it this way or do you want it that way? What's better? To be spiritual? Oh, it has great advantages to be spiritual. But then on the other hand, you're not really grounded. Okay, so maybe it's better to be physical. Oh, there are great advantages to being physical. But on the other hand, you don't have a vision of something higher. Hmm. So neither one is that good. In the world of two, listen, life isn't perfect. You have to pick one. You have to pick something, and you're going to lose out. That's it. In the world of two, you're always going to lose out. You want to be spiritual, fine, but you won't be grounded. What are you going to do? Can't have everything. In the world of in the other one, you want to be physical, great, but you won't have such a higher vision. You can't have everything. Life is not perfect. Well, Abba says. Life is not perfect. Where do you hear that? Which Tyra are you basing this on? You said, what do you mean? Yeah, but the world of two choices. In life, you always have two choices. Should I eat this pastry, but then I'm going to gain weight? And I don't want to break my diet, but I want to eat the pastry. I don't know what to do. Okay, so should I not eat the pastry, but then I'm going to feel deprived? Okay, listen, you can't have everything. The Babacher ever says, you can't have everything. Yeah, brother, it's a world of two. Where there are two choices, either this or that. Brother says, my world is a world of three. I thought your world was a world of three, too. Every Jew, maybe the rest of the people in the world, they're conceived from two parents, a mother and a father. Not us. We're, we're conceived and born from a mother or a father and God. There are three partners in our creation. We're not... We're not people who are born from two partners. We are people who are born from three partners, mother, father, and Hashem. So if you're born from three, your whole beinghood is three. So why are you trying to live in the world of two? You will never fit there. You are a three person. A three person cannot live in a world of two successfully, which is why we're always frustrated, which is why... My other very first year was, why are Jewish people the best candidates for therapy? He gave other reasons, but I would say because of this. Because we're number three people trying to live in a world of two. We try to live in a world of either or. And the other says, why either or? Let's take both and make a new combination. It's called in the center of the Holy of Holies of the, of the Beit HaMikdash, of the Holy Temple. There's a reality that, there's a reality called a number three reality. And that number three reality says you can have two opposites and they, they can sit peacefully together. That's called a number three reality. That is the center of the center of the core of Judaism. Which explains why today Gimel Tammuz is the third day of Tammuz. Because three is the center of the center of the center of the core of Judaism. It is who we are. One of the biggest favors we can do for ourselves is step out of number two, trying to live as a number two person, and step into living as a number three person we will have immediate relief. We'll be in sync with ourselves. The Rebbe does it all the time. There's not one single sikha where the Rebbe asks, and what, what do you think? Is this, what should we have, this or that? And the Rebbe always says, and so really we put the two together, we have a third combination. Always. I never, ever, ever saw any place where the Rebbe says, we'll have to settle. Settle? You know a Jew who's ready to settle for something? I've never met, you know, you're always dissatisfied. 
Why are we always this? We're always clutching. Oh, <laughs> 20 people are in Walmart. And why is it always the idiot? Yeah, it's not right. Excuse me. We shouldn't have to stand in line. Why are they always clutching? Why are they always complaining? Yeah, we shouldn't have to stand in line so long. Why don't you bring in another cashier? Everybody else is standing quietly, let's say. This is my, I'm from Canada. In Canada, the non-Jewish people are pretty um, obedient. You know, civil, right? Quiet, quiet. And we were, I remember growing up thinking, we're always complaining. And they're always quiet. What is it about us? Because they fit into the world of two. We do not. We have a sense that there's a number three solution. And we kvetch and complain until we find it. So where is this number three solution? This gimel tamo's number solution, it's always invisible. It's from a different frequency. So you have to tune into a higher way of seeing things and believing and trusting and moon of the tough and, and all of that in order to find the third solution. I just heard, I, I only heard the tail end of the story uh, from, I, I won't even say the name of the shliach, because I didn't hear the whole story, but I it was just listening before how he went to the Rebbe's aisle, and he was there. I guess he had some, but there was a man who was helping him financially a lot um, with his Chabad house. And that man stopped. I'm surmising the beginning of the, of the story. And that man stopped donating, and it was very difficult financially, and they had a lot of, it was, had maybe a, a commitment. And um, so this rabbi went to the aisle, and he was there, and he was speaking and speaking about all of the things that he needs help with and essentially complaining about this man who probably once helped him. And, he, and then this man did not live in the United States. He lived somewhere else, and um, his name is Yankel. And the last time I had kind of seen him live, you know, seen him in person was six years before. I don't know how they... He said, I walked out of the aisle, and I walked towards the, you know, where Rebetzin Chana is, the Rebbe's mother, um, the caber there of Rebetzin Chana, and there's, the place is very quiet, so there's only one person there, and he says, I'm in shock. It's this Yanko that I was just complaining about to the Rebbe. And he said, I went crazy. It's like, it's impossible. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, I'm, I'm hallucinating. It's hot. I didn't drink enough. This is not the uncle standing here. And he started, he said, I went crazy. And I started to scream, Yanko, Yanko. It was an Israeli fellow. And <laughs> Yanko said, what are you screaming for? You're going to wake everybody up over here. <laughs> and, and the Shalia said, I was just, uh, complaining about you. And the Yanko said, oh boy, wow. And he said, first of all, what are you doing? Don't you live in Israel? What are you doing here? How did you appear at the moment that I'm complaining about you that I need your help and you're not helping? How did you appear here? What is this? So they sat down and they worked something out and they did many wonderful projects together, etc. This is the third solution. Imagine that a person is in a situation where they need help. They say, well, if I ask him, then that. That's not so good. If I ask him or if I do it myself, then that. That's not so good. Nobody in 10 million years would think, well, why don't I just bring Yanko right here to where I'm standing from Israel at this very split second. That'll do it, and I'll talk to him face to face. Uh-huh. Sure. It's kind of like, hmm, let's see. What could we do if we want to create a new world order? Well, maybe you have to be Chinese to think of this. You know, let's create a world virus and shut down the economy and then put everybody at home with their families and get everybody to rethink everything that they're doing in their lives. And we'll start, who would think such a thing up? This is from a frequency that is not part of this normal world. This is from a frequent, this is from a frequency of 
inside the Holy of Holies, where two offices coexist. This is from the third dimension, that there's always a solution to every problem in the third, the Gimel, Gimel Thomas dimension. There's always a solution. But it's on a frequency that you have to tune into that frequency. You have to open your eyes to, to be living in that frequency, even for a moment, for that solution to pop out at you. So this comes from Gimel Thomas. And to create that frequency, and to create not so much the frequency, the access to that frequency, the very first Gimel Thomas had to happen, which was in the time of Yahushua, when as we're entering the land of Israel, and we're going to be taking all the Torah that we received and learned and making it into a lifestyle, which is no simple thing, as we're coming and conquering the land, and creating this into a lifestyle, what happens? It's, there's a necessity to pull the plug on the old way that nature works, which is a number two nature, either or. Pull it out, pull out the plug as we're fighting the war for a few hours and then plug it in again in the morning. And now we've plugged into a new nature, a nature where the number three solutions are just basic. Because we've all lifted up to a frequency at which we just live in the world of three, Gimel Tamos. So you can, you can see, by the way, that, oh, so Gimel Tamos ends up being, it's a number three day. It ends up being the day in which the, the plug comes out of the old socket, goes into the new socket. And what we want to do is, the socket has to be our lives too. It can't just be nature has been reframed. I want to be in tune with this number three world. I need to unplug my, my cord from the socket, take the plug out of the old socket, and plug into the new socket. So what happened in 1927, at the time of the previous Rebbe, this KGB that was really a very great enemy, very, 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 very great enemy, turned out to be the ally. That's the number three solution. Now, oh my goodness, what do we do? We're here to spread the truth of Hashem, the truth of God in the whole world. Oh no, what do we do? The KGB is here to try to eliminate God, God forbid. They're not going to let us do this in Russia. So what do we do? Oh, in the world of two, well, you have two solutions. If You have two solutions. One solution is stop teaching Torah, then they won't hate you. Just do what they say. Just give it up. That's one solution. It's not such a great solution. The other one is just, you know, I don't know, uh, it's also some very, a, a, a solution that's not going to work. The number three solution was, I don't know. In other words, we have to deal with the KGB. They're not going to let us do this. Or else they'll kill everybody, God forbid. They'll massacre everybody, which is really a lot of that was done. The third solution would be something that no one would ever think of. Hey, guys, what if we take the KGB? This is like a little child would think. And children have the secrets, the life. The number three solution, you can always, by the way, if you want to find out a number three solution, ask a child. What do we do? KGB doesn't want us to let, uh, let us learn Tyra. So what should we do? The child might say, hmm, well, why don't you make them your friends? And then they'll want to learn Tyra with them. Why don't you ask them to learn with you? Oh, that's so cute for a child. But that's a number three solution. Who would have ever thought Hey, what should we do about the KGB? Well, let's turn them into our friends. Turn them into our friends? Are you not looking at reality? Well, let's just create a new reality. Oh, my goodness. Somebody should teach you how to, how to, how to operate and how to live in a normal world. Where do you live? You, what, you sleep all day and dream? No, 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 I'm in the world of three. Kim Thomas, I'm in the world of three. The hidden third solution is so out of the box that you would never think of it in a million years. 
uh, Shen was thinking of it, and she said, oh, they did frequency. He produces these crazy out-of-the-box solutions that solve problems in, in ways that no one could have ever figured out. And an example would be that this is already a very old story, many years ago, um, after the Iron Curtain fell. Now, by the way, that's a number three solution. What should we do? The KGB doesn't, the communists don't want us to, to teach Torah. At, and the, the, the penalty is, God forbid, losing one's life. And they won't let us leave their country. It's not like they're saying, if you want to learn Torah, just leave. They're not letting us leave, the communists. And they're not letting us learn Torah. Hmm. Aren't a whole lot of options available here, are there? No, 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 no. Wait, you're Jewish? There's always an option, and it's always number three. Okay, what would it be? Okay, so let's make the Iron Curtain fall. Uh-huh, yeah. Let's make the Iron Curtain fall. Yeah. Let's make the Iron Curtain fall. So after the Iron Curtain fell, the number three solution, clearly put into activated by the very one who had his Chaz in 1927. The very one who was in the eye of the storm in 1927, the Sikh Lubavitcher he's pulling strings in his conversations with, with Hashem to tear down the Iron Curtain. Not in one shot, not in one shot, in stages. It took 70 years. It's like we spent 40 years wandering in the desert. It had to go in stages. Anyway, back to the story. So what happened? The Iron Curtain fell. Oh, of course. Sure, you look back, 2020 vision. Vision, hindsight is 2020. You know what, by the way, sorry, hindsight is 2020 means? It means that when you, if you can have, if you can look at a number three solution now and picture it, even if you can't picture what the solution would be, but just picture a color. If your favorite color is pink or turquoise, just picture this big ball of turquoise or this big ball of pink and just let it wash over you. you know, I'm in the middle of a crisis. I don't know what to do. Number one solution is bad. Number two solution is bad. There are no other solutions. Okay, I'm going to bathe myself in my favorite color, which to me represents the number three, embodies the number three solution. I have no idea what this number three solution is, but I'm just going to wash it over me so that it permeates every cell of me. And then see if the number three solution doesn't also hit my, my, my brain or just, or doesn't just manifest in the world. Very interesting idea. So anyway, the Iron Curtain cell, miracle. And what happened? So there was a shliach who was setting up food distribution centers in, um, in different places in, in Russia. And at some point he was in Austria. And he was having trouble, I think, in Kiev. It just, it just didn't work, all the red tape. So he met a man there in Austria, and they started to have a conversation. And they both said, oh, I'm from Russia, I'm from Russia, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a Chabad rabbi. He said, oh, yeah, I'm, and I'm trying to set up food distribution centers. So the other man, who was not Jewish, said, oh, I would like to help you. I'll help you. I have a lot of connections. I'll help you. Said the Chabad Rabbi Vishliach, well, thank you so much. Who are you? The other man said, oh, I'm from the KGB. Remember the KGB? We just talked about it. I'm from the KGB. I'd like to help you. What? In his mind, KGB, enemy. It means instant firing squad, if you're learning Torah or teaching Torah. So, So the man says, I'm from the KGB. He said, I want to tell you something. All those years, my job was to keep tabs on what you guys were doing. And I, we really knew everything. All the things you thought we didn't know, we knew those too. 
when you thought, okay, now we're alone and we're speaking in secret and, you know, now we're safe to speak. He said, you weren't safe to speak. We knew all of that. Every conversation was done. We knew everything. He also didn't say, you know, what he was responsible for doing, but he said, we knew everything. And he said, I have to admit, you know, my job was to uh, make sure you don't complete your project. But yeah, I, I do have to say that. But he said, I have to tell you that at the same time as I was doing my job, because this is what I was told by the government to do, I was in awe of you. How you guys, how you people just keep on going at risk of death. And you just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And you have a bigger vision, way bigger than our vision, that I was in awe. But I had to uh, work against you. He said, but now the Iron Curtain fell. I no longer have been, my job is no longer to work against you. We don't do that anymore. That one's over. Job description is over. He said, so now that I don't have to fight you anymore, I want to help you. I want to now step into doing, taking the next step of how much I was in awe of you, and I want to help you. So tell me what I can do to help you with the food distribution center. This was and is a template for the enemy becomes the ally. They do the enemy became the allies. They don't go away. When we step into a number three energy, a Gimel Tamil's number three energy, the enemies don't run away in fear. That was 3,000 years ago when we left Egypt. You know, you run away in fear. Running away in fear, that's this last millennium. We don't run in, away in fear anymore. What we do is, it's called escafia. You know, just run away from it. Don't deal with it. Let it go. Don't deal with it. We don't do that stuff anymore. We do transfer. We, we embrace it. We embrace the scary stuff and say, this is not scary. This is my, if it, if it feels scary, it must be my best friend. We transform. That's the number three solution. Why should I run away? I'll transform it. The reason that we never did it before in history is because only Tzadikin could do it. Regular Jews would have to run away. Tzadikin could run into the enemy and transform him, embrace him and transform him. You have to be a tzaddik. So we live more or less in the world of two, even though it's not a Jewish thing to live in the world of two. And our tzaddikim guided us in some number three solutions. We lived in the world of two. Once the Lubavitcher ever said in 1991, I'm giving it over to you. I'm empowering you. Now we can do those kinds of things. We can also run, run into the eye of the storm, run and embrace the enemy and transform him. You have to know how. You know, there are, it's a skill. You have to be trained. You don't just do it wildly. It's, there's, a, there's a whole training course. But essentially, that's what we're capable of doing now. Once we're capable of doing it, we have officially moved out of being stuck in the world of two, where we don't belong and never belong, to now we belong in the world of three, and it's time to step into living that reality. It's time to step into living Jimmel Thomas. That is the Geula of Jimmel Thomas in 1927. Oh my goodness, it's Jimmel Thomas, 1927. They're sending the Rebbe away. The darkness is increasing. This is really bad. This is the beginning of the darkness. Wait. Is it the beginning of the darkness? Or is it the beginning of the light? Later on down the, down the road, the Geula happens. We look back and we ask ourselves, when did the Geula begin? When did the light begin to shine? And the answer is, on the third, number three of Talmud, at that moment, when it looked like the darkness was increasing. 
And I was discussing with somebody this morning, there's a very interesting um, experience about darkness. Because darkness is a number two reality. Or you could say darkness is a, well, you know, in creation. On day one, Hashem created the world, and it was all his light. Let there be light. It was a beautiful, amazing, incredible day. And day two, there was the beginning of machlaikasis, chalkas, darkness, separation, all the junk. Nobody likes going to work. I hate Mondays, right? Everybody hates Mondays. Why do people hate Mondays? They hate Mondays because they hate Mondays. They think they hate Mondays because they don't like to go to work. And since they go to work most of their life, they think they hate their life. Oh, that's so. But they hate Mondays because Monday is the energy of the beginning of of his chalkas of division. So they hate it. Why? Time to live number three. So Hashem created, it was all light on day number one. Day number two is division. It feels like a very not good day. And day number three. And day number three brings it all together. So the interesting thing about darkness is that when we're, God forbid, in a dark space, it feels very permanent. It feels like this will be forever. Very interesting idea. It feels like everybody knows, everybody, whether we feel it or people around us feel it, you know, somebody will say, um, oh, they were so mean to me or, or something like that. This and this happened. It's never going to change. There's this weird feeling. There's this very strange feeling about darkness that it feels like it's going to be forever. Feels like it's going to be forever. When the fireworks were happening, etc., on the on the streets, everybody felt like they'll never stop. There's this feeling when you're in a dark space, God forbid, that this is never going to end. This just feels like it will go on forever. And the opposite is when we have a good moment, very few people say, oh, today was such a good day. I know it's going to be forever now. The way it was today will always be. They may say it, but there's this just feeling that when it's a bad day, it just feels like this will, this is, this is just, this is just, if it's a bad day, God forbid, this is just the way it's going to be forever. And if it's a good day, we're waiting for the, the other shoe to fall. Yeah, how long is this going to last? Good luck. Huh, you think it's going to last? How long is this going to last? What is that? How is it that darkness somehow seems so permanent? And it's, it's, it's not even true. It's from the world of lies. It's from the world of number two. We do don't belong in the world of two. It's from that world of either or. Either or is a dark energy. Either or is, you want this? You want to be spiritual? Yeah, but it's still not going to work because of that. Okay, so that's dark. You want to be physical? Yeah, but it's not going to work because of that. Okay, so that's dark. Or whatever. Do you want to buy that, do you want to buy that beautiful house and you love it, but how are you going to afford it? You'll always be working 24-7, 24-6 just to afford it. So that's, that's the dark feeling. So you want to buy a smaller house and you'll be able to afford it, but you don't like it and it does, it's not your style and all that, so that's dark. Either way, it's dark. It just feels like, eh, I don't know, it's okay, whatever, not really happy. You know how everybody in this generation says whatever? You know what whatever means? Whatever means? I feel like I'm in a little bit of a dark space. Because I'm in a number two world. In a number two world, which is not a Jewish world, we feel dark. And darkness feels like it'll last forever. I will never find a house that suits us. This one's too expensive. This one I don't like. I forget it. I'll never find a my soulmate. This guy's too boring. This guy's too showy. This guy's not for real. This guy's too too into himself. This guy talks too much. This guy doesn't talk too much. This guy, etc., etc. I'll never find my soulmate, or I'll never find the right place to live. Or I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. Ah, come on, it's not. What is it about that never, ever, never, ever, ever, ever? What is that never, ever, ever, ever feeling about darkness? It feels eternal. How can darkness feel eternal? Darkness is from the world of lies. 
World of lies is not a place of, of eternal. It, the only place that's eternal is truth. Gotta be. That darkness must not be true darkness. It's the only way. It doesn't make any sense. If darkness feels so eternal, and the only thing that in truth is eternal is truth, and darkness isn't truth, we must be misunderstanding darkness. Something doesn't add up. It's got to be that when we're in a moment of darkness, it's only a jacket, it's only a coat, it's only a, a garment, it's only a wrapping paper for essence light. For brilliant, incredible light that we just can't see because it's too strong for our eyes. Because only truth and light can be forever. So every time we say, yeah, I know, it's never going to get any better, come on. Yeah, you think, oh, yeah, right, they're going to, it's not going to work. Whenever we feel that the darkness has just gotten worse, I found the house I love, but they want, you know, they want another quarter of a million dollars. They don't have that extra quarter of a million dollars. Or this house, yeah, we can afford it, but it's like, eh, yeah, I'm going to drag my feet on even moving there. I don't know. Right, we're never going to work out. It's never, never know. It's got to be that when we enter that moment of darkness, that's the Gimel Thomas moment of 1927 of Tafresh Zion. Oh, my goodness. It just got worse. It was yucky to begin with, but this got worse in the world of two. What we want to say to ourselves is, wait, what's today? Gimel Thomas. Three. Oh, three. Oh, my goodness. I forgot. Three is the third frequency, which is always amazing, which solves all the problems, which puts, which is not either or, but it puts together all the advantages of that and one and two. And it's a frequency, it's an out-of-the-box solution that we would never think up. And somehow I have to tune into a higher frequency and everything falls into place. That's number three. So that's Gimel Thomas. That's Gimel, that's the original Gimel Thomas. In order to do that, in order to get up to the frequency of number three, in a normal world, a normal world, which is a world of one or two, in order to live number three, Gimel, Gimel, in a normal world, Yeshua said, oh boy, we're going to go into the land of Israel, live a normal, in a normal land, but miraculously. That's got to come through number three, Gimel Tanmud. In order to do it, I'm going to pull out the plug on the old way and leave it out for a few few hours and re-plug it into a new socket. A socket not in a world of one and two. A socket that includes number three. It's a number three socket. I'm going to plug it in there. And then it opens up an entire new vista of how we can live life. I'm going to Change the nature of nature. That was 2488, Yeshua. Fast forward. Tukhresh Pei Zion, 1927, right in the middle of the communist regime. The whole thing. The last bastion of resistance to godliness, to God. The last real enemy that existed in history that said, no more God, we want to eradicate God. The last power in history, so to speak. We had enemies who wanted to, didn't like us, this and that. But there was a, the Stalinist regime was the last one that said, we base our existence on the fact that we are going to destroy God once and for all, God forbid. It was the last, it was the last, what is it, uh, general, I don't know, American, his last stand. You know, this is the last fight of Klippa to resist number three truth. Number three truth. In the midst of this, at the second that, it felt like they won. Our enemies won. It's over. Why do they want their hands on the, the sixth Lubavitcher ever? Why do they want to, why do they, why do they care? Because he is the representative of truth in that place at that time. 
He stands for truth, and he infects everybody else with the need to stand up for truth and live truth. He's walking around as an embodiment of truth. So the whole battle surrounds that. And we just want him out of the way. He's pivotal to them. They hate our truth. And so at that moment, that moment of Gimel Thomas, we say, Oy Gewalt. we think they won. They hate truth. They hate us. They don't want any, they don't want any representatives of truth walking around in the world. That's us. They, it's, it's, they won. They got the Rebbe. They're sending him to exile. They're going to do whatever they do. They won. The darkest moment. But, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something fishy. It's a very dark moment. And it feels like it will never get better. But, just a minute. Let's remember, wait, it's a num- it's, it's three. It's number three. It's Gimel Tamos. It's number three. Hmm. If it's number three, then something fishy. I guess that means that there's a ge'ula in this gullus. It feels like the beginning of darkness in truth. It feels like the beginning of the gullus. In truth, it's the beginning of the ge'ula. Number three, Gimel Tamas. And just to end off, it's the fourth month. Tamas, Gimel Tamas, Gimel Dalit, Gimel Dalin, the rich gives to the poor. The rich month of Sivan, which is rich with, you know, Matan Taira, godly inspiration, godly light Shavuos. We had such a beautiful Shavuos. So the next day, the, the chaos, it's all connected. This holy month of, 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 of Sivan, full of godly revelation, then gives to this poor month of Tammuz. Which means from the upper realm, it's being poured down into this low, low world where when I fall into a darkness and I feel like they won, forget it, I give up. Wait a minute. Number three comes along and says, let's just grab from the rich times. Number three tells me. Gimel Thomas. There's a whole other, other reality there. Just walk out. Oh, you feel like it's very dark? I do. You feel like it will never change? That's right. I, I feel like it will never change. Well, then you must be living in the world of two. All right, okay, so I'm living in the world of two. So what do you want me to do? Step into the world of three. It's Gimel Tamil. And start thinking about it. And then when it comes to our own time, whatever it means to everybody, Gimel Tamil's 1994, Gimel Tamil's this year, who are you, who is, who is the Rebbe, who are the Rebbeim? What is Chassidus? What is Tyre? What are the deeper levels of Tyre? What is Tyre Chadasha? What is, what, is, what is the world? Who is the world? What does the world want? Who am I? Who are they? What is going on? Ask all those questions. Why should we be afraid to ask? In the world of three, we're allowed to ask. In the world of three, it's a higher frequency. Nobody's going to tell you, you you shouldn't be asking. In the world of two, maybe since people get scared and they don't have access, they'll tell you that you ask too many questions. In the world of three, you can't ever ask too many questions. But you want to ask questions in a way of people. Say, Hashem, it's a serious, honest question. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk. You and I, let's go into this room, the number three room. We're going to step out of the number two room because God, Hashem, when I'm in the number two room, I'm either angry at you or I'm this or that. I feel like you're angry at me. Things aren't working. Let's just take a break. Let's go over into this number three room, the Gimel Thomas room, and let's look at life and open up, put some of the questions on the table and come to a deeper understanding with each other about life, who, what, where, eternal life, how we're going from Gullah to Gula, how we're going from limited life to eternal life, who takes us there, how we get there, do we get there automatically? Does someone take us through the process? Does someone initiate the process? Of uh, Is there someone who's the first one to go through eternal life in a way that's not recognizable? Or does it all happen to everybody at all the same time? Let's open up these questions and ask. Ask Hashem with an open heart and an open mind and an open soul. 
and make a decision that I'm tired of number two. It's such an awful place to live. I want to live in the world of three because it's magical and it's true and it's today and it's where we're up to in the world. And I want to live there. The third Geula, the third base in Middash. Everything about three, the place. That third base in Middash is the place where all of everything will be resolved and it will be a place of the most delicious curiosity forever. And the most delicious grounded, it'll be a question, constant questions that don't deplete us, but that fill us with a deeply intimate connection with, with God and with ourselves and with the world and with our groundedness. It's a delicious, unbelievable place, that magical place. I want to live there and want to live there now. And we're saying, Hashem, please turn this Gimotamos today, this moment, way before the day ends, into the day of the complete building of the third day Samizish today, right now. And we will dance and we will sing together. And the whole world will declare, Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad.